Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. This is a Rogue Media Network podcast. This is Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Central Texas Life. And we are going to talk today about the great profession of farming and particularly Farm All Century. And it is this fabulous book. I can hardly pick it up. It is, it is just a massive coffee table book with everything you ever wanted to know about particularly the Farm All Tractor. And I have on Zoom with me the wonderful, one of the wonderful authors of this, Lee Clancher, coming to us from Austin, Texas. Lee, it's delightful to get to speak to you and to talk Wait. about your book. I always love talking about my book, and thanks so much for having me on, Anne. It's great to be here. Well, it's the full title, The Evolution of Red Tractors and Crawlers in the Golden Age of International Harvester. Now, Lee, you're a photographer and an mm -hmm. author and contributed to more than 30 books, and some of them are titled Red Tractors, Red Combines, Red Four-Wheel Drive Tractors, and John Deere Evolution. So this is not a new topic for you. No, I've been writing about this. I actually, uh, I was a science writer way back in college. And the first book that I did, a local book publisher recruited me to write about farm all tractors in the 1990s. Really? So yeah, I did that. I've done a lot of other things as well, but those books have been a big part of my career. So did you grow up on a farm? Is this kind of in your DNA? Um, I did. My dad was a teacher and we grew up in, in rural Wisconsin. Uh, he uh, bought a little house that was on a farm and then the, the farm, we were on the farm, but he didn't run the farm. And my grandfather was a farmer. So I have that background. I was a gearhead, just anything with uh, wheels I was into. So uh, the kind of leap to understanding farm equipment, understanding people who love them was pretty easy because I had spent most of my life obsessed about motorcycles and cars and things I could get in trouble with in a rural community as a kid. You know? Well, you're not alone. I mean, uh, there are three co-writers with you, Guy, Faye, Jim Allen, and Kenneth Updike. Tell us a little mm -hmm. bit about your colleagues. Uh Absolutely. And they've worked with us. We've done a number of these and each of those guys have, have contributed. Um, Guy Fay uh, was a uh, is a, a tractor researcher from uh, Madison and he worked the the major archives for International Harvest and the Cormac archives are housed at the University of Wisconsin. Yeah, that makes Guy sense. worked there for many years, knows it really well, is one of the authoritative figures in this industry he had some really fun stuff um and so he wrote some of the early bits about the real early tractors and had some really nice relevations that he brought um jim allen is a longtime writer about trucks and machinery he does a lot of stuff for us he wrote about uh, ih's role in world war ii 
And uh, Ken Updike has been writing about farm tractors. He works at a tractor dealership in southern Wisconsin and has been writing a column for, I think it's almost 30 years for a, kind of the major magazine, Red Power in this niche. So those are guys I've known. I've known all of them for decades and they do fantastic work. They mainly a lot of research, which is super important for us. Well, there is so much. This is such a comprehensive history. Uh, how long did you guys work on this? You know, depends on how you slice it. Really, it's about three years we've uh -huh. been at it. But you could argue that all of us have been working on this for decades. Yeah. So um, it's, you know, it's, it's, these things are a lot of work a lot of times. Oh, I, there's no question about, no question about it with Farm All Century here. Now, in the foreword, Max Armstrong tells the story of an early Sunday morning photo shoot with uh, one of these red Farm All tractors in downtown Chicago, of all places, and a jogger comes running across the street yelling, it's a farm all, it's a farm all. And that jogger stayed for nearly an hour. It brought back so many emotions for him. So yeah, and I think for so many farmers, it's, it's, there's just so much tied to these machines. And I, it's interesting because I've worked in with people who have collectible motorcycles and cars and, and all kinds of different things, even bicycles. And tractors is just a little different. And I really think because that machine fed fed your family, right? When you're a right. kid. And and the amount of time a farmer spends with their tractor, I mean, they arguably might spend more time with their tractor than their spouse. So, you know, it's it's uh there's a very, very special bond that forms with people that grow up with them, I think. Well, and that's why this book is just going to be such a treasure for anyone who has farming background or in knows a farm knows a farmer for that matter um or just likes to eat because you know as they say if you can read thank a teacher if you can eat thank a farmer you know it's been such an, an integral part of the formation of our country um now in the forward you write about the the grit and the self-determination as part of being a farmer and an american um they had to understand the mechanical creations, you say, that played such an important part of their work. And you've already used the term, what you call gearhead innovation, built the original Farmall tractor. To elaborate on that, if you would. Yeah, and, and you know, that there's just there's a lot of various things there. It starts coming from my background as a gearhead and something I understand. One thing I came to understand doing this book is at the early part of the century, you know, our world was being transformed by machines. And uh, there was all these, these things that were just rapidly, rapidly changing. Even, you know, we've seen so much change, say, in computers, in handhelds and all these things. But if you go to 1900 to 1930, the changes in our culture were just tremendous. And they were brought about by mechanization. And, and that had been happening for 150 years. And our society was changing from one where 80% of us were focused on gathering food to today where you can't, they don't even measure. We don't, it's a, it's less than 1% of the people who make all our food now. Right, it's all so, machines. Yeah, and these changes, these people who made it happen were just um, gearhead, born to be gearhead. So you'll see many of these early guys, uh, Bert Benjamin, Alex Legg, um, Ed Johnston, those are three of the key figures in the early days of IH machinery. All those guys, when they were young, 
by the time they were 12 years old, they were known throughout their, their neighborhood, county, whatever it was, because when somebody had a machine that broke, this was the kid they called. Yeah. Because they, they just, it just took to it, you know? Yeah, kind of like and, if you have a problem with your computer, you, you call your teenage son in to fix it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think, I think back then now, you know, I think most of the 11 year olds in your household are better at a computer than you. Back then there was these kids that just had a gift for mechanical things and the pharma, which, which transformed agriculture had a huge role in replacing the horse on the farm and putting us in the world we're in was developed particularly by a, a group of people that that just had this gearhead bend so it's it's kind of fun well you met, you mentioned some of the names already i, I want to elaborate a little bit more um to the beginning sandy leggy 1868 and his son right there's a picture we'll share of of him an old old archival photograph Tell yeah, us about, and, about his prominence. Uh, Alex, Alex Leggy may be my favorite uh, character in the book. So Alex uh, grew up, his, Sandy was his dad. And Sandy was a, I believe he was an, he either immigrated or his dad, I don't remember for sure, but he was fairly new to the country and he ran a big farm. And Alex, his son, very quickly um, took to managing that farm. By the time Alex was 12 years old, his dad would send him off for multiple days to sell and buy equipment, to sell animals. He, he had a role as farm manager early, early on and was just a very gifted young man. Well, Alex um, decides as he gets a little bit older, I think he was 16 or so, decides he wants to be a cowboy. So he goes to Wyoming and he ends up... Um, using horses to run cash across the state. At that time, when they had to bring money uh, at distance, you know, it was all cash. And this is what he did. It was very dangerous. He's very good at it. He liked it. He loved the outdoors. His mother gets sick. He goes home and he, um, to be with her, he's very close to his family. And he decides to become a, uh, a collections agent for the McCormick Company, which later becomes part of International Harvester. Mm -hmm. And he's very, very good at that. He's just a natural at showing up and getting farmers to pay was a huge part of the problem at that time. I could go on that forever. But anyway, <laughs> he, he was very good at that. He never completed his high school education. He eventually moves up to a management position in that, in the collections, befriends one of the uh, members of Cyrus McCormick's family, Harold. They send him to Nebraska. And they, and he's, Harold's 21, just got married. He just married Edith Rockefeller, the son of John Rockefeller. Oh my. Yeah. I mean, the, the McCormick's and the Rockefellers, these were some of the richest people sure. in America at that time. So there was, and they're actually very similar families. Um, but Harold's 21 and they're like, Alex, we want you to help Harold understand the company and grow. And they became friends. Alex, Harold, when he goes back to Chicago, takes Alex with him. Alex becomes the CEO of IH, was one of the most important leaders in that company's history. He was sort of a stalwart voice of reason. The McCormicks were very marketing oriented, very visionary. He was a little more of a nuts and bolts guy, but uh, become CEO, no high school education. Uh -huh. Just a wonderful, and, and the accounts of him, the things you read of him, man of high integrity, someone that was easy to admire. 
So absolutely. Well, let's talk about Cyrus McCormick, born in 1809. Um, just kind of part of getting all this started yes yeah, cyrus so cyrus may or may not have invented the reaper that's his claim to fame we uh, explored yeah. that in the book it's really fun um there's a lot of controversy over who really did what cyrus did was market it and perfect it and sell it and and go from basically nothing in virginia he moved his company to chicago in the early days with his new reaper that was huge business at that time i mean there were so many farms this was one of the biggest businesses in America, and he built it up just incredibly. He also, the McCormick family, was one of the largest landowners in Chicago. They came to Chicago when Chicago was a dump, and they bought up so much. And Cyrus went on, you know, his, his company became one of the biggest in the country, and he's definitely one of the early innovators in agriculture and also became one of the wealthiest families uh, in America. Well, and, and it is, as I say, a comprehensive history. And I was fascinated to uh, hit the Civil War years and, and read that they sold a quarter of a million reapers and mowers during the Civil War because each machine freed up two to three farmhands to go and fight. They were, they, they, yeah, and during wars, wars always drive uh, farm innovation. Because oh, the two big ones certainly did, World sure. War One and Two. Because all of a sudden you have a shortage of people, and you have a shortage of food. So you don't have men at home; they're off fighting, and the whole world needs to be fed. And often, you know, Europe had terrible problems producing uh, much agriculture because you know the the fields became battlefields. So um, innovation happened in both those periods. World War One very much so. Always the 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 agricultural equipment companies that are the savviest, the best at working the political machine, do the best. And the McCormicks were brilliant at that. They were friends of politicians. They had family members who were politicians. They made sure they got those big contracts. And they also made sure that they publicized it exactly as you say. Um, you know, they very much portrayed themselves not as profiteers, but as patriots and uh, very clever on their part. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, moving on through history, the Dust Bowl days. Oh, my. And, yeah. and what a, well, it's, it's hard to even explain. You know, obviously, I wasn't alive at that time. But in seeing and reading about just how horrific that time was, and, and it was kind of poor farming practices that sort oh, yeah. of brought it on. Oh, yeah. But the, you the, have a photograph. There are some always just some very dramatic and compelling photographs from that era. And you found one that I that I, I found uh, particularly poignant. And it's a tractor driver, a former tenement farmer who mm -hmm. drove a tractor on his farm in Bell County and uh, Texas. In uh, June of 1938, his pay was one dollar per day, which would equal twenty dollars in 2023, which is still not very much money. Um, and this is from the Library of Congress. Um, just a, an amazing photograph. And that is literally my favorite photograph in the book. That is a oh. Dorothea Lang uh, photo. If you remember, though, she was a WPA photographer. They're very, very famous picture of a woman touching her face. It's kind of the icon of yes, the Great Depression. Yes, I know exactly the, the image you're talking about. 
Yeah, and 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 that image is just tremendous. I, I feel like you can see the strain he's under. You can look at that and you can see that he doesn't have good options and he's, you know, doing his best. Um, and, and the Great Depression, I think personally in the times that we're in, the Great Depression is, is fantastic reading. Um, there are some uh, parallels in 18 prior, well, it's quite a bit prior to that. There was a, um, uh, there was a, uh, outbreak of, of influenza, but that's, that's not as interesting. The, the super interesting part is how tough it was for people, how much things changed, how upsetting. I read a lot of first person accounts and just how, you know, devastating those times were for, um, you know, the people of the world and, and to understand, you know, our times are tough. I don't think our times is tough. Our, we're as tough, are as yeah. tough as they had it. No. So, um, that's sort of refreshing. Um, it's interesting, re the the company, how they behaved. At that time, IH had formed, International Harvester formed as a big merger, and they were a, a fairly wealthy company. And they managed the Great Depression very, very smartly. They developed the next line of new tractors. They took that time. They were relatively humane to their uh, employees. They did offer loans and things. So, um, and they came through it well, but the, how long that was and how difficult that was is, is a fascinating time. And the pictures in there from that time are so powerful. Oh, just they are. Amazing. They are. Um, moving on through history, um, I, I guess it just really dawned on me that International Harvester would be so involved in the war effort, particularly in World War II. Um, in a whole section that Jim Allen wrote, IH goes to war. Yeah, that, they that had a huge had role. And Jim has done a wonderful job. Jim always does. Um, the, the, so they really could only produce a very limited number of tractors during that time. And you couldn't even buy a tractor for quite a bit during the war without a government permit. Really? Yeah, it was, it was very difficult to get them. So they had to do as much maneuvering as they could to because you know they wanted the steel and the rubber and the efforts to go towards military vehicles um but of course the government did understand that we needed farmers and they have a labor shortage so we needed those machines so they were able to get some of that but those government contracts um were hotly contested all the all the tractor manufacturers jumped in on those but ih was particularly good at landing them again they were they had politicians in the McCormick, the McCormick family still active in the company at this time. And they were very good at landing those. And, and they, a lot of the things that went um, to the war, notably uh, rifles, they built rifles, huh. um, you know, were built by IH. I, I didn't know that. Um, crawlers, you know, you see the picture of the big uh, treads on these vehicles that were just kind of workhorses, I guess, during, during the war years. Yeah, yeah, the crawlers were used a lot, and they built a bunch of those. And yeah, are they There's still building today, or are they still uh, building the, uh, armaments? They have uh, no, not so much. Okay, not so much. They yeah, that's that's not a big part. I'm not sure it's any part of the modern case IH, not to my knowledge. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that but during the wars, that was you know World War One and two. That was the way they survived. Yeah, well, and then the, we're nearing the nearing the last quarter of the book, but. Um, the post-war boom and uh, 
farming, the soldiers are coming home, and, you know, we've got the baby boomers, of which I'm one, and I presume you are too. Um, yeah, let's talk, talk about that. I mean, you've got some just amazing photographs, again, of these, of these tractors. That, that era is really interesting from a tractor perspective. It is the era where the tractor finally really replaced the horse. The technology was there prior to that, but that time from when, you know, post-World War II to say 1950, 1955, somewhere in there, they sold more tractors than they, large tractors than they ever will again in history. During that time, the farmers came home, the guys came home from the war, to their farms. There was a lot of farms and a number of farms was steadily decreasing, but from that point forward, they would decrease dramatically. So there's a lot of farms, a lot of farmers. The guys, because of the war, they learned how to operate equipment. Yeah. So, you know, they knew machines. Before that, machines were very foreign. If you weren't a Alex Leg or one of these gearhead people, you're like, what is this? And it's like somebody gave you a spaceship. So, um, at that time, everything was right, and they sold so many tractors at that time. It was just unbelievable. Um, it's also kind of the beginning of the downfall of IH. They make some mistakes in that time, which we covered. Hmm. Um, there's also a wonderful story in there about uh, some of the companies that built aftermarket equipment and how these people kind of built a little business from the ground up um and and were able to sell things because they were building so many machines they didn't really have the time to engineer all the details perfectly so some of these guys would develop little devices that would help farmers and build their own businesses and that's fun stuff yeah part of part of the american way i guess absolutely in a way. yeah absolutely. yeah you have a thank you have a photograph here of richard nixon who was campaigning um and the three millionth ih tractor produced was a Farmall 300. And this is a September of uh, 55, I think. Yeah. In Wabash, yep. Indiana. <laughs> yep. He, they would make the rounds, those big, well, and you got to remember those big tractor demonstrations and fairs, they were big deals. They would draw, oh, sure. you know, five, 10, 50,000 people. So that was a good place for a guy wanting to campaign and get the farm vote. It was a smart place for them to be. So you'll, you'll find a number of political figures with tractors over the years. They, they were always wise enough to do that. Well, it, it is an amazing work. I mean, I, I have to say, I've just been so um, in awe of Farmall Century, 1923 to 2023. How can folks uh, get a copy of this book? That book is available anywhere books are sold. Uh, you also can go to our website, octanepress.com, and get from us. Um, you also can go to your Case IH dealer and uh, find it there. But anywhere, any bookstore, online seller, they're everywhere. Well, if you're looking for a fabulous Christmas gift for yourself or someone you love that loves equipment, loves farming, uh, you cannot do any better than this. Lee Clanter, you are amazing. I mean, this is anything else you want to add about, about your work? You know, one thing I'd add, we have a few, we have a special edition of that. If you go to our Octane Press website, which is in a beautiful aluminum case and it's gorgeous. And if you're looking for something collectible and very special, uh, those are great and they're almost gone. So oh. I'd, I'd add that as a 
if you really want to get grandpa something fantastic. <laughs> so, so hurry <laughs> is, is your, your advice. Well, this has just been a delight for me as uh, I have learned so much about, uh, as you call it, the golden age of International Harvester and uh, how much we have to be grateful for these innovators and these, uh, these people that really put it all on the line to uh, build this country. Absolutely. I, I really appreciate you having me on, and it's been really nice. Well, you are a delight, and uh, I wish you all the best. And uh, again, Farm All Century, this is something you want to add to your book collection. I'm sure libraries are going to pick up on this. Absolutely. They should. I mean, it's almost like a textbook. It certainly should be a Texas A&M. I'll put it that way. <laughs> uh, yes, and it's it's heavy enough to be a coffee table. It, it definitely is a coffee table book. But you are awesome. Thank you so much for your time today, Lee. Thank I you. I wish it's you all the best. And thank you for being with us for Central Texas Life. Have a great day. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Central Texas Life with Ann Harder is part of the Rogue Media family. Be sure to check out our other shows at roguemedianetwork.com. Please rate this show five stars on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, or anywhere you get your podcasts. Join us again soon for more Central Texas Life with Ann Harder. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.